Taylor Swift has dropped a new album. She is the biggest pop star in the world, and everything she does makes news. I gasped. I was like, oh my God, I've been there, and you can identify with it. For a breakdown of Taylor Swift and her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Four years ago, COVID shut down in-person learning at most schools. Then, as instruction went back to normal, schools expected the kids to come back to the classroom, too. The problem? Some didn't. Hi, I have to be honest. I'm definitely one of those parents that last year, my daughter missed a lot of school. She had just started middle school and coming off of the pandemic. I guess it was just it was just tough. I was going through a lot personally, and she doesn't have bus service, so I had to get her to school every day and we just fell behind but this year obviously things have changed she's in seventh grade now she loves going to school and she did not fall behind academically i think that there needs to be a much more concerted effort on the school district's part in making things mandatory for parents to be much more involved in their students academic career and i would love to see a change in that and i would rise to the occasion but i think it needs to be something that is mandatory Nearly a third of all K-12 students, more than 14 million kids, aren't showing up as often as they should. It's an issue the Department of Education is attacking by providing states with more funding, tutoring resources, and after-school and summer programs. So what's at stake if kids don't get back in the classroom? How are some school systems trying to get students back to class? We get into those questions and more after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back in just a moment. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics, with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Let's get right into it by introducing our guests. Joining us from San Francisco, California, is Hetty Chang. She's the founder and executive director of Attendance Works. That's a nonprofit that tracks attendance data and helps states address chronic absenteeism. Hetty, welcome to 1A. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Thomas D. He's an education professor at Stanford University, and he joins us from Palo Alto, California. Thomas, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Thomas, first, how do most school systems define chronic absenteeism? 
Well, they combine both excused and unexcused absences and then flag students who've missed more than 10% of school days. So for most schools, the school year is about 180 days. So we're talking about missing 18 or more days. And we like to focus on both excused and unexcused absences because chronic absenteeism is meant to function as, a, as an index for a variety of barriers to learning. For whatever reason kids aren't showing up, it can harm their learning. So this is a widely used metric that captures that. Hetty, what's the difference between chronic absenteeism and truancy? Truancy typically refers only to unexcused absences. And exactly what are the reasons for allowing um, absences to be excused or unexcused is determined locally and also at the state level. So there's huge amounts of variation. Chronic absence is looking at all absences, excused, unexcused, or suspensions, and it's typically defined in a much more uh, common way, which is the 10% that Thomas D. just mentioned. And once a student is identified as being truant, typically that also carries some legal consequences as well, correct? Absolutely. The consequences start early. When absences are considered unexcused, often um, teachers are not required to help students make up for what's in they missed in the classroom, or they may not be allowed to be able to take the tests that they missed. Um, and then if truancy accumulates, then uh, starts with notifications. Uh, eventually, it can result in fines, in legal action, taking kids to court. So, um, that's a huge issue. One of the things that's complicated about truancy is that um, the difference between excused and unexcused absences can sometimes um, be a bit arbitrary. You have two kids who are sick. They're both sick for five days. One child has access to health care and the other child does not. One, the child with health care uh, comes in with a note. The child who was sick but didn't have a note will be considered unexcused. And the notices of truancy and a kind of punitive approach can end up um, alienating families and actually making it more difficult to partner with families to address, to understand and then address the causes of why kids are missing school, which is so crucial to improving attendance. Well, we should acknowledge that chronic absenteeism isn't new. Data from attendance work shows that before the onset of the pandemic, about one in five students was missing for nearly four weeks in a school year. Thomas, why is this issue ringing alarm bells right now? Well, we thought it was a crisis before the pandemic to some extent, the the numbers you just mentioned. But what we saw as data became available during the return to in-person instruction during the 21-22 school year was really quite striking because the rates of chronic absenteeism across the nation nearly doubled. And we saw these dramatic run-ups in every state with available data, virtually every state in the union. So What it's really indicating is that as kids return to school in the wake of the pandemic, there's been a large-scale failure of them to re-engage in the learning enterprise as they did prior to the pandemic. And we already knew the pandemic was creating learning challenges. We saw that in deteriorating youth mental health and in, in, in the erosion of nearly 20 years of test score gains. Um, but this is adding to the challenge of academic recovery. Um, It's hard to support kids in realizing their potential in the wake of the pandemic when they aren't consistently in the building and in the classroom. 
Hattie, are there characteristics such as race, economic status, or geographical location that might increase the likelihood of a child experiencing chronic absence? Absolutely. Chronic absence affects students of all backgrounds, but certainly uh, students who have historically um, not had the same access to educational equity have faced uh, challenges in connecting with the our mainstream educational system have been more um, affected. So Native American kids have among the highest levels, uh, 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 Pacific Islander, uh, African American, uh, and Latino children. But I will also say one thing that we saw happening um, during the pandemic, and, and this data I know from California, we don't have it as easily nationally. But before the pandemic, uh, in California, English language learners actually came to school uh, almost slightly better than the average student. Um, and during the pandemic, their chronic absences increased dramatically. And among the youngest English language learners, they are now at 30, they're around 37% chronic absence levels, which is much higher than um, just the 30% that we were then seeing. This is in 21-22 data. So English language learners especially experience challenges. And I think that speaks to the challenges that our system has had in being able to reach out, connect, stay, um, keep uh, families who speak languages other than English engage in the system. Well, we asked you how your child's school attendance has changed in the past few years. Here's some of what you told us. Hi, my name is Alicia, and I work in a school in Elizabeth. And I know for a fact that one of the reasons why our students are chronically absent now is that when they are sick with a cold or the flu or the sniffle or a cough, the parents are so afraid that the child might have COVID and they keep them home for the safety of others. This is Tiffany. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I am a kindergarten teacher and I also have three young children. The biggest thing that's changed post-pandemic is that people are required to keep their kids out for a certain amount of time when they get a certain illness. And just last week, my own son missed four days because he got a stomach back. So I think illness has a big role in why people are keeping their kids home. When our daughter is feeling sick, even if it is just a cold, we do encourage her to stay home and rest rather than risking the spread of those germs. Alicia, Tiffany, Meg, thanks for those messages. Coming up, we hear from two student support specialists. They tell us how they're trying to get kids back to the class consistently. Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. <laughs> Stories that change the way you think about your life. How, how did we get here? The Embedded Podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL. Because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? 
getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to the discussion with another message we got from one of you. I know my son's school attendance became lower once they stopped taking temperatures before children got out of the car for drop-offs at my son's early education program. Now we deal with back-to-back sicknesses every month, which, of course, leads him being out of school. So when it comes to school attendance, I think we need to take being sick a bit more seriously as much as it's an inconvenience, because ultimately it becomes an inconvenience all around regardless. Thanks for that message. Thomas, we heard from a lot of parents who cited illness or concerns that a sniffle might be COVID as a reason they're keeping kids out of school. What's your understanding of the role illness or fear of illness plays in kids being absent? Well, I I think that's a really sensible hypothesis, and I don't doubt that that's having some effect. But interestingly, when I look at the state-level changes, which states had larger run-ups in chronic absenteeism, there isn't really a strong link between some public health factors. So, for example, states that had higher uh, rates of COVID infections did not see significantly higher increases in chronic absenteeism. And also, I examined the states that either required students to wear masks as they returned in the 21-22 school year versus states that had no policies versus several states that actively banned students from wearing masks. And there wasn't a clear clear evidence of a connection there. Now, I think there's more to learn, but I want to underscore one factor did jump out strongly. One predictor of which states had larger increases in chronic absenteeism, and that was the extent to which schools were closed during the 2020-21 school year, that first full school year under the pandemic, when slightly more than half of school kids spent the year in remote-only instruction. In states where that was more prevalent, we saw much higher increases in chronic absenteeism during the return to school. And the reason that matters is it suggests that many students and parents simply fell out of the habit of going to school and perhaps during longer periods of remote instruction, began to see less value in regular school attendance. We got this email from Jay who says, do schools with the worst rates of absenteeism have as many resources as other schools or as many resources as they got before the pandemic? If I were a student at an underfunded school that didn't even have a library, I wouldn't be interested in going either. Thomas, what can you tell us? Yeah, I think that is a really valid concern, and I I haven't examined that directly, but I'd be willing to make a heavy bet that it's schools that are serving our most educationally vulnerable students that have the highest rates of chronic absenteeism are often poorly resourced to uh, address those concerns. Hattie, anything to add? Absolutely. 
Kids come to school when schools have enrichment, have engaging classrooms, have stable teaching um, because you have teachers who are well-paid and who are staying in the classroom. Whether or not schools are attractive places to go where kids want to be is a huge factor. And this is also why you see such high levels of chronic absence in schools, which are in low-income communities, which are much more under-resourced. Let's go back to our voicemail box and hear this message another parent left for us. Hi, I'm a parent, and I think post-pandemic attendance almost seems optional, not from the standpoint of it's okay if my kid goes or not goes, but from the standpoint of if my child has any symptom of, of any illness, I'm going to be shamed for sending them to a public space. And so I almost feel like, well, if they had a fever four days a week, then why am I sending them on the short day Friday? It just starts to seem a little bit silly, and I've started supplementing education at home a lot more than I previously felt necessary. Hedy, your thoughts on supplementing school education at home when a child is absent? We have to find ways to do that, but we also have to make it more equitable. I mean, right now, and this happened also during the pandemic, families with resources who have easy access to um, connectivity and computers, they were better at keeping their kids staying engaged. And so right now, that inequitable access to resources to supplement children um, is really a challenge. And so that's why we have to deepen, expand that to low-income communities. I also think that we need to find ways to... um, work with our health community to make sure that we're all clear about when you keep your kid home for illness and when it's okay to stay home. Because a sniffle, which can be allergies, can stomach aches, which are about anxiety, are not reasons that kids should stay home. And sometimes anxiety-related symptoms get worse if you keep your kids home. We got this email from Molly in Massachusetts. As a parent with a daughter approaching school age, the prospect of her attendance raises significant concerns. Initiating a genuine conversation about equity requires making in-person requirements accessible without the threat of illness. This involves addressing crucial factors such as mask requirements, ensuring proper air circulation, and implementing regular testing. Until we prioritize the safety and well-being of all individuals, discussions about equity remain incomplete. By advocating for measures that create a safe and inclusive learning environment for every student, we move closer to a future where schools truly become accessible to all. Thomas, what do the increases in the rates of chronic absence tell us about how students and their families are feeling about issues like like safety, social happiness, or just general satisfaction at school? Well, I think they're telling us there's a a variety of factors that are just making school unattractive. Many of them we just discussed, uh, the the concerns about health risks, about maybe imposing health risks on peers and trying to understand social norms uh, for attendance. We still need to learn more about the the seeming sea change that has occurred uh, clearly in attendance and, and by implication in how people see their engagement uh, with their community school because it, it right now stands as a very serious barrier to realizing the learning recovery we need from the pandemic. 
We got this email from Leslie who says the D.C. public school system sends out notifications every time a child is absent, even if the parent informs the school and the teachers and it's for a valid reason, such as an illness or a religious observance. This constant notification feels punitive, like a blanket approach. Would a more direct and targeted system be more effective? Thomas, what strategies have been the most effective at getting student attendance back on track? Well, this is where we can strike an encouraging note because there are multiple strategies that have shown promise. And I think we shouldn't uh, look to any just one solution, but really think of them as tiers of intervention, many of which we want to embrace. And the first line in that is what you described, some type of parent or family engagement where you're communicating to parents, hey, your kid is falling short of attendance guidelines. But as the comment you mentioned uh, suggested, how that's done can really matter. And there's actually very good evidence on this, that adding elements of social norming, not just saying your kid is not attending school enough, but here's where their classroom peers are, and here is your child relative to their classroom peers. That um, peer comparison can have a powerful effect. And also, I think there's real enthusiasm for paying attention to the design features, the language used in that communication, so that it stresses shared purpose and underscores a shared understanding about the importance of school rather than bringing in um, kind of excessively judgmental or bureaucratic language. That's Thomas D. He's an education professor at Stanford University. Thomas, thanks for your time. Thank you. Hetty Chang is sticking with us. She's the founder and executive director of Attendance Works. And let's bring two new voices into the conversation. Joining us from Detroit, Michigan, is Shepria Johnson, a professional student advocate with Concentric Educational Solutions. The company works with school districts to support chronically absent students. Shepria, welcome. Thank you for having me. Also with us, Ryan Vogelin. He's the director of student services at Anne Arundel County Public Schools in Maryland. Ryan, it's great to have you. Thank you for having me. So, Ryan, you oversee the attendance of more than 80,000 students in your school system. What trends have you seen around chronic absenteeism in Anne Arundel County in recent years? Yeah, great question. I think what uh, Hetty and Thomas outlined, you know, in the previous segment is pretty accurate for Anne Arundel County. We we saw rates of uh, chronic absenteeism that weren't great before the pandemic, but were definitely much lower than post-pandemic. And... um, you know, the 2021, or I'm sorry, 2021, 22 and 22, 23 school years, we definitely saw really high rates of chronic absenteeism. And the good news is this school year, are, um, we're seeing lower rates of chronic absenteeism, which is, which is very um, promising for the future. And can you point to specific interventions that have aided those numbers? Yeah, in Anne Arundel County, um, we had some transportation issues last school year that I think some other school systems also had. And, um, you know, that that really impacted our chronic absenteeism numbers, as well as some of the other things that were discussed, you know, parents' fear of, of, of some of the illnesses and, and, and just some of the impacts that COVID had. Um, our transportation is, is in a much better uh, situation right now. We, so that's been an increase. But I also think we've we partnered with Attendance Works as well as Concentric. And we've really started to change the way that we view attendance um, and change our kind of our culture. We used to view attendance through the lens of truancy. And now we see it through chronic absenteeism where we're supporting families 
all families around attendance and, and helping families understand that attendance is the foundation for all learning. If our kids aren't in school, they're, um, they're going to be less likely to have those positive academic um, outcomes in the future. And, and so we've had to have a climate shift and a, a culture shift on how we um, how we tell our staff to look at attendance as well as our, our community and our parents. And that, that shift is we're working in three different clusters in Anne Arundel County of schools. Um, of schools in those clusters. And those clusters, we've seen a bigger increase or decrease of chronic absenteeism than some of other schools in our system. We hear from Allison, who says, I have a straight A chronic absentee graduating high school this spring with 30 college credits. He often misses class periods because of regular therapy appointments that can't always be scheduled after school. I'm not sending him to school sick on the occasions he's ill because he's maxed his days by prioritizing his mental health. I'm not setting my kid up to believe he has to choose between mental and physical physical health, or that he should go to school when he's sick. All that said, if he misses too many days, he won't graduate in spite of his academic achievements. There are some ableist issues with attendance policies that we should be aware of. Still to come, how are school systems using their resources to support families and address the root causes of absenteeism head on? That and more right after a quick break. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR. Let's get back into chronic absenteeism in education across the U.S., Shepria, in Detroit, you oversee a team of six outreach professionals. They meet directly with families and students who are at risk of becoming or already are chronically absent. How has your caseload changed since you started in 2021? Um, Yeah, so since I started in 2021, the workload has increased significantly. We are not only in the urban areas, we are also spread across the suburban areas versus post-COVID. You were featured in a piece published by ProPublica last fall on chronic absenteeism in Detroit. You talked about what it's like visiting the homes of chronically absent students to speak to their parents. What do you typically encounter on a home visit? Um, During our home visits, we encounter um, many different situations. Um, Our top three barriers that have been reported by students and families are that the student is not feeling connected to a loving, caring adult. Um, There are a lot of underlying health conditions that are being um, um, revealed as well as transportation. Mm -hmm. So during most home visits, when we connect with families, a lot of families are expressing that they are not connected to the adequate resources that are needed to actually get their students to school. So recently, I spoke with a family who expressed that her children catch the bus. So during the walk to the bus location, it's about a mile radius, and it was uncovered that the mother did not have enough funds to actually provide winter clothing to her student. Mm. And therefore, she couldn't get her children to school. So that was causing the students to be chronically absent. 
Well, that echoes what we heard here from Alexander in New Orleans, who says, I've been working at a school since 2021, and my primary function at the school is to handle attendance. I think it's really important that my school has this role open so that they have someone that can talk to families, address barriers that are going on to get those kids to school, especially as the school I work at is 70% low-income families. There are a lot of barriers that the families face in getting their kids to school. So, Shepria, when you run into a situation where it's it's not necessarily about whether or not the student wants to be at school, but there may be some financial barriers, some transportation barriers that block access to education. How does your organization connect that family to services that can help? So we are connected through our home visit app. So it's our engagement app. What we do is we give all of our schools access to the app. And while we're out in the field doing home visits, they actually have access to check the data that we input in real time. So once we identify a barrier at the home, what happens is that the barrier is um, identified and then it goes directly to the student support service um, personnel that works inside of the school. That way they're able to act on the barriers firsthand. So Ryan, Once you receive information that says, okay, there are some fundamental vulnerabilities a student is facing, like housing insecurity, food insecurity, a lack of transportation, how is your school able to respond at that point? Great question. So we have, um, at every one of our schools, we have school counselors, school psychologists, um, many schools, we have school social workers, and we also have what are called pupil personnel workers. So one of those individuals or an an individual that may be connected with that family is going to reach out to that family, find out what those barriers are, and then connect them to those resources and help guide them to to overcome some of those barriers that may be preventing them from coming to school. So that's really been an important push to make sure that we're having those relationships uh, with families so they do feel connected to the schools. Hedy, zoom out for us. When we look across the country, how well-equipped are schools broadly to provide the types of wraparound support services that families might need to get their kid back in school regularly? Yeah, I think many places are not so well equipped. Um, As I mentioned, we have a huge, you know, the number of schools that are experiencing 20% or more chronic absence levels increased from about 25% of schools to two-thirds of all schools. Once you're at that level, you need other kinds of partnerships. It can't just be up to schools alone. We need um, housing, public health, transportation, uh, social services. And so um, I think one of the things that's been an important development is the development of something called community schools. And you need actually folks who can then figure out where are those resources and agencies in our community and how do we bring them together so that when um, we identify a family in need, there's a quick and easy process to connect that family to the place and the people who have those resources. I want to go back to our inbox. We got this from Elizabeth in North Carolina who emails, I have two middle schoolers who are not chronic absentees, but I don't hesitate to keep them home when they need a mental health day. Their school has had significant issues since COVID, including high teacher turnover and hardly any school activities. Thankfully, that has started to improve, but these issues have made school extremely stressful for my kids. Sometimes they need a break from the stressful environment. We need much better funding to make school a healthier place in general. And Lynn emails, 
when my daughter was in middle school, she missed a lot of school due to serious depression and social anxiety. There was such a need for mental health resources in the school that they set up a special room for these kids who felt too overwhelmed to go to class. They also hired tutors and counselors to help these kids. The legal threats we received were not helpful. Shepria, how often are you running into mental health concerns as, as being a reason why a child might not be in the classroom? We actually run into that barrier quite often. I actually spoke with a student who, um, he was chronically absent. Once I had the conversation with the student, he expressed to me that he had, um, you know, mental health issues as well as anxiety around adults. So he had a hard time after, you know, COVID, he had a hard time re-engaging you know, adults were not so welcoming. So he didn't have that loving, caring adult there to say, you know, what do we need to do? Or what type of resources can we provide? And things like that. So I think that mental health is one of the concerns that um, that needs to be addressed. And then also thinking post-COVID. So we all think about the things that we had to adjust to. Our students are still adjusting to coming back Mm post-COVID. So even just think about the anxiety that the student may have when walking inside of the classroom. So they were out of school for roughly two years. So walking inside of the classroom creates anxiety, which creates mental health concerns. So a lot of our families are expressing that they are outreaching, um, outsourcing services for their children and their mental health concerns. And Ryan, how are you all tackling the mental health concerns of your students in Anne Arundel County? Yeah, we have a pretty robust um, number of initiatives to support mental health. You know, a lot of that has been aided by some of the COVID funds that came out, some of the grant funds, and we took advantage of that. Um, As I said before, we have school counselors, school psychologists, school social workers in every school building, but we also have a program called Expanded School-Based Mental Health, where we have clinical um, therapists in every one of our buildings, and this is to cut down on barriers with transportation or or evening and weekend appointments. So so these students can actually get therapy, more intensive therapy in buildings. Um, and we have a lot of outside community partnerships that we work with. So so I, I also have seen an increase in mental health challenges and, um, and we're doing our best to try and address those post-COVID. I want to get to this perspective we got from a student who recently graduated from high school. Emma in Minnesota emails, I was in high school not that long ago and was considered chronically absent for several years. I was a straight-A student, president of the National Honor Society, and a member of many other clubs. When I had exceeded the allowed missed days, I was threatened with after-school detentions and lost privileges related to grades. There was no interest expressed in why I was absent or how it affected my grades, only punishment. I was lucky that I was capable of handling the missed days, but if I wasn't, I would have been on my own. And Karen emails, my kids both struggled with attendance after COVID. They both ended up doing an online program for a year, but are now back to in-person. They're benefiting from the social opportunities that they can only get from in-person learning, but they view attendance as academically irrelevant. They can complete all their work digitally without needing direct instruction from a teacher. If one of my kids asks for a mental health day, we are more inclined to say yes because they can still complete their classwork on time. I'm a teacher, so I feel conflicted over allowing my kids to miss school when they're not sick, but the go-every-day rule just isn't holding up under scrutiny. Ryan, I want to come to you on this as as someone who's working directly with students and student services in Maryland. 
there's a shifting, what we're hearing, there's a shifting perspective on attendance. And if a student is performing academically or if they need a day away to to manage stress, what I'm hearing from so many of our listeners is that there shouldn't be a punitive approach to to kids if they're still succeeding in school. How are you navigating that space, especially where it intersects with mental health and the need that kids may feel to, to be out of the classroom on occasion? Yeah, I think it's a balance. Um, Maryland did uh, pass a law that allowed for mental health days to be excused. So, uh, you know, a student can, you know, they, they can, a parent can write a note that a student needs a mental health day and it can be an excused absence. What I would say is it's all in balance. So we, we want to keep obviously below those 10% uh, rates of, of missing school. And, and we want to balance that with being in school because we know that being in school is where kids are getting that academic instruction that allows them to be you know successful. Um, but but I, I definitely think it's it's a valid a valid issue to bring up and and, and I just kind of preach that that balanced approach. Well, yesterday, the Biden administration unveiled their new plan to address chronic absenteeism and low test scores. Neera Tandon, head of the Domestic Policy Council, announced the plan. Absenteeism can account for up to 27% of the test score declines in math we've seen and 45% of the test score declines in reading, respectively. The truth is we simply cannot accept chronic absenteeism as the new normal. Get each of your reactions to this announcement from the Biden administration, Hetty. I think it's fabulous that we are prioritizing this because we need to rebuild a routine of attendance while also making sure we have the resources so every student has the opportunity to be engaged and supported in school. Shapria, what about for you? Um, I think this is awesome, and I do think that the additional funding will be beneficial to our schools. And and Ryan, what about for you as someone, again, working directly with students? What's your reaction to this new plan? I think it affirms what we've been doing in Anne Arundel County and and the direction that we're going. And I look forward to to any kind of funding opportunities that we can continue um, supporting parents rather than rather than an, uh, an punitive approach. We know that that doesn't work. We know that educating parents and supporting them and working as a partner is what allows kids to increase their attendance. And I, I just think this is a great step in the right direction. Hattie, very briefly, when, if ever, do you expect to see rates of chronic absenteeism return to pre-pandemic levels? I think it's going to take a couple of years. And I think it's going to take um, really intentional, uh, targeted support and moving to this um positive problem-solving, not punitive approach. That was Hetty Chang. She's the founder and executive director of Attendance Works. Also with us, Shepria Johnson, a professional student advocate with Concentric Educational Solutions, and Ryan Vogelin. He's the director of student services at Anne Arundel County Public Schools in Maryland. Hetty, Shepria, Ryan, thanks for your time. Today's show was produced by Lauren Hamilton and edited by Matthew Simonson. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A.
This message comes from NPR sponsor, Stamps.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. On Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we have very important people on our show and then ask them about very unimportant things. Here's U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, We are also reliably informed that among your enthusiasms, in addition to macroeconomic policy, is mobile games. Uh, There is some truth in that. There is some truth in that. Join us for the NPR podcast that considers all the other things. That's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts.